Welcome to the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. For over 30 years, Paul Stone has been seriously handicapping college football, college basketball, and PGA Tour golf. Over the past five seasons, spanning almost 600 releases, Paul has hit 55% against the spread in college football, gaining the respect of sports books and bettors throughout the world. He is monitored by highly respected the Sports Monitor of Oklahoma City. Paul has also won two major Las Vegas football handicapping contests and finished in the top four in two others. Each week, Paul will provide exclusive handicapping insights on the podcast. To receive Paul's exact picks each week, you can sign up for member-only access at paulstonesports.org. Now, on to the show. Today is uh, Wednesday, December 6th, and it's shortly after 3.30 p.m. Central. Uh, And I would say since shortly after 11 a.m. Central this past Sunday, uh, December 3rd, when the College Football Playoff Selection Committee announced the four teams selected to compete in the sports four-team playoff, I cannot really begin to guess how many times I've been asked, uh, whether in person, via text, during media spots, uh, on X, you know, just all the various and different forums. Paul, what do you think about the committee's four selections? And I'll say right off the bat, first of all, that ESPN's Booger McFarland was correct when he described the committee's efforts as a travesty. He was just off base, in my opinion, on what constituted a travesty and what didn't. Uh, The real travesty, and that's really actually too strong of a word, because the committee has a difficult job, it's an extremely subjective process. Uh, the, com- the teams compete against different levels of competition. Even Power Five conferences are not created equal. But where I disagreed with the committee was its selection of undefeated and 13-0 and Liberty over two-loss SMU as the group of five's New Year's Six representative. You know, sure, Liberty won all its games, but it did so in arguably the nation's weakest conference, Conference USA, uh, against a schedule ranked 133rd by Jeff Sagren. Meanwhile, SMU, they were ultimately penalized, in my opinion, for playing a strong level of competition. They played road games against Oklahoma and TCU. The Sooners, they were ranked as high as number five this season at one point in October in the AP Top 25. And actually, after they beat uh, Texas, one guy that I really respect who keeps power ratings, I didn't have them this high, but he had Oklahoma number one in his power rankings. So a very accomplished Sooner team lost to them and then TCU last year's national champion runner-up. The Ponies lost both those games by 17 points, uh, but only trailed Oklahoma 14-11 to with less than 10 minutes remaining in Norman. What was Liberty's most notable uh, victory in 2023? Uh, perhaps a pair of double-digit wins at home over uh, New Mexico State, or maybe a... Uh, 18-point road victory at Jacksonville State. 
in Jacksonville State again, not from the state of Florida, but rather Jacksonville State in the state of Alabama. So anyway, whether you say the two wins over New Mexico State or the road win over Jacksonville State, not much to pick from when you're trying to identify Liberty's uh, top victory. Don't get me wrong, man. I mean, Liberty, they play an exciting brand of football, specifically offensive football. Their dual threat quarterback, Caden Salter, he has uh, blossomed this season, originally signed with Tennessee out of high school uh, from the Dallas-Fort Worth area uh, here uh, near where I live in East Texas. But this year, Salter passed for 2,750 yards, ran for another 1,064. So he's a true dual threat guy, very athletic. Uh, I'm hopeful Oregon, who they'll face in the bowl game, doesn't have a whole lot of opt-outs because I'm really looking forward to seeing Salter uh, and company go up against the Ducks is slightly more than a two-touchdown underdog. But still, the Flames, in my opinion, they weren't the most deserving group of five uh, team there. SMU was. But Liberty uh, didn't lose a game, uh, and its inclusion was an easy sell to the masses. So Liberty gets that group of five bid, and they'll play Oregon again in the New Year's Six Bowl game. Now to the four teams selected by the committee uh, to compete for college football's national championship. I think they got it right. Um, you know, I know that's unpopular. I know a lot of people, I've had people really get angry with me for my opinion. This is just my opinion. You know, people in our country uh, have uh, differing opinions. And in fact, before I forget, that is the title of episode 132 of the Paul Stone Sports Podcast, which you're listening to, that title being, They Got It Right. So, you know, I know it's unpopular. I know a lot of people are really railing on the committee and disappointed and frustrated and angry and worse about the committee uh, electing not to include a 13-0 Florida State team. But about a half hour before their announcement uh, on ESPN, those of you who follow me on X perhaps saw my prediction. And my prediction was Michigan uh, as the number one seed. Washington number two, Texas in at three, uh, and Alabama in the fourth and final spot, and that's how they uh, that's how they voted. That's how they decided. The committee had Florida State uh, at number five, and predictably, again, there's been a significant uh, backlash, as I previously uh, mentioned. ESPN analyst Booger McFarland. Uh, called the committee's omission of Florida State the biggest, quote, travesty, end quote, in the history of the sport. Uh, Florida State head coach Mike Norvell said he was, quote, disgusted uh, and, quote, infuriated by the committee's selections, uh, saying his team had been cheated. And then today, Florida Governor Rick DeSantis uh, has asked his state's legislature to allocate $1 million to sue the college football committee. I think there might be better ways uh, to be a better steward of your constituents' tax dollars. And I do also recognize at the same time, it's nothing more than political grandstanding. But, you know, still, you get the, uh, you get the picture. Everybody's on their soapbox, many outraged, 
and perhaps even worse, uh, at the committee's decision. So you might ask, Mr. Stone, how do you justify a 13-0 Florida State being left out of the four-team playoff? You know, first of all, I want to say that I understand Florida State's bitter disappointment. You know, the, the Seminoles this season, they took the field 13 times and emerged victorious 13 times. I want to add that I'm impartial. I'm neither a Florida State fan or a Florida State dissident for that matter. You know, I'm a former media member, and and I think I was very balanced uh, in in my coverage uh, in those days and that uh, previous life. And uh, so this is pretty natural for me to sit in judgment, quite frankly, but to give my opinion and give it without a favor or um, outside interest or personal interest or whatever you want to call it. So first of all, you know, and I think this is obvious to all of us, but only four teams can get in. And there are five Power Five conferences. The teams play disparate schedules. Teams in some conferences play a number of what I like to call losable games. Other teams in other conferences, they don't play that many losable games. They may maybe only have two or three truly losable games in any given season. And from there, you know, I could I could go into strength of schedule and some other metrics. But it boils down to this. The unfortunate loss of Heisman Trophy contending quarterback Jordan Travis uh, late in the first quarter of a Week 11 victory over FCS North Alabama ultimately kept the Seminoles out of the 14 playoff. You know, the committee and college football fans, for that matter, we got to see two games and three quarters after Travis's injury of Florida State's backup quarterbacks, uh, Tate Rodemaker and Brock Glenn. You know, I've had some pose this argument to me uh, comparing Florida State's situation this year to the 2014 Ohio State Buckeyes. And I think that's really more support for the decision not to include Florida State this year, actually. You know, back in 2014, and I don't know, you know, some of you probably remember the games vividly. Some of you probably don't remember the games at all, you know, whatever the case is. But in 2014, Ohio State was selected to be one of the four playoff teams despite being down to that third-string quarterback, Cardell Jones. Folks, all backup quarterbacks are not created equal. Cardell Jones had one game to audition in front of the college football playoff committee. And in that one game audition, the Big Ten championship against Wisconsin, all Jones did was hit 12 of 17 passes for 257 yards, 15.1 yards per attempt, and three touchdowns in a 59 to 0 beatdown of nationally ranked Wisconsin. 
this was an all-American-like performance uh, against a Wisconsin team that had not allowed more than 28 points in any of its previous 12 games. So if Cardell Jones, if he threw for 257 yards, three touchdowns, completed 71% of his throws against Wisconsin, and averaged 15.1 yards per pass attempt in his one-game audition against a solid Wisconsin defense, then what did Florida State's backups, Tate Rodemaker and Brock Glenn, do against FBS opponents, Florida and Louisville? The latter of those, Louisville's got a pretty darn good Power 5 defense. Florida, not so much. The, the Gators, they rank right around 100th in several key team defensive statistical categories. So Rodemaker played against Florida in concussion protocol this past week. So Brock Glenn plays against Louisville. The two combined to hit only 20 of 47 pass attempts, just 43% of their throws for a grand total of 189 yards, an average of just 3.9 yards per pass attempt and no touchdowns. If you watch those two games, what you were seeing, in my opinion, was a Florida State defense, first of all, and we'll start with defense, playing at a championship level. But a Seminole offense severely hamstrung at the critical quarterback position, the most important position in all the sports. The Seminoles were clearly not a balanced team. When you're talking about a championship-caliber team, they were forced to rely heavily on their defense. I understand, you know, that a lot of those bemoaning Florida State's exclusion don't want to hear facts. They don't want to hear protocols. Um, you know, if it doesn't support their narrative, you know, they probably don't want to hear it. You probably don't want to hear it. All they want to hear, all you want to hear was Florida State in the 14 playoff. You know, damn be any other team unfairly omitted due to the Seminoles' inclusion. You know, they can only pick four. The committee's charge is not to be fair to Florida State. You know, it's to be fair to everybody, to consider the rules, and ultimately select the four best teams. So here's what it comes down to, in my opinion. And I've heard people talk about there being some type of just, uh, you know, that ESPN, that the networks have their hands all over it, this, that, and the other. And, you know, just conspiracists and theories right and left. I think they just did their job. I think 13 people got together with a very difficult job, a very, very difficult job, Uh, and made the decision based on all the information before them. And I think heavily considered was the college football playoff selection committee's protocol. It is a relatively short document. If I can find it on the web, you can find it. You drop down under the heading principles. You tap into there. And one of the inclusions under principles reads that the committee should consider, and I'll speak fairly slowly, quote, 
other relevant factors such as unavailability of key players and coaches that may have affected a team's performance during the season or likely will affect its postseason performance. I'm going to read that again a little more quickly. They must consider or should consider, quote, other relevant factors such as unavailability of key players and coaches that may have affected a team's performance during the season or likely will affect its postseason performance. You may not like the rule. You may not like to digest it, to let it marinate, to think about it, to know that these are razor-thin decisions, that these teams have very similar resumes. But when you break it down, first of all, just looking at some of the key words in that principle, unavailability. You know, no one questions that Jordan Travis has been unavailable for the last two and a half games plus and will continue to be unavailable for the duration of the 2023 college football season. Then you talk about key players and coaches. So is Jordan Travis a key player? I think that's putting it rather mildly. You know, I believe he was inarguably one of the sport's top 10 players and, and probably more like top five during the season's first 10 weeks. You know, I, I, in fact, I believe that the past two weeks, those games have underscored just how key he was to Florida State's success. And then you come to the, uh, the part about that unavailability. Did it affect a team's performance during the season? You know, we saw, we've seen the last two games. I don't think anybody, I think those, you know, those quarterbacks would have gotten a lot of reps between now and the playoffs and so forth and so, so on. But the only data points are what we've seen. And what we saw in those two games were, was, you know, two backup quarterbacks, uh, not quite ready for the moment. Um, you know, they're, they're trying to uh, just keep them out of harm's way, so to speak. Um, you know, we could go on and on and talk about that, but it clearly, that key player's absence, Jordan Travis, affected their performance during the season and then to the next uh, point um, and will likely affect its postseason performance. Without question, uh, that is accurate, that it would have affected their postseason performance, not marginally, but significantly. I heard a well-respected college football analyst say on Tuesday on satellite radio, and this was just, in, it was just incredulous, said that these two things can be true. One, that Florida State, and these are his words, that Florida State got screwed by the committee. And two, that the committee got the right four teams in the playoffs. To say, folks, that both these things can be true is absolutely asinine. Yeah, I've heard other people say essentially the same thing. The committee only gets to pick four teams. That's it. They don't get to pick five teams in some years and, and maybe six in others. It's four and only four. Everybody doesn't get one in, in this in this game, in, in this competitive environment. They don't hand out participation trophies. 
They have to make hard, difficult choices. I'm not in any way, shape, or form an apologist for the committee. Uh, but nor, you know, am I part of an angry mob that's just going to disagree with any and all decisions that those 13 people make just because they're in charge, just because I don't like authority, just because I like to moan and groan and bitch and gripe and whatever. Not in this case, certainly. You know, Florida State's omission, again, it's sad. It's unfortunate. Uh, it's perhaps even heartbreaking for the Seminoles. But with Jordan Travis out for the year, the committee indeed got it right. Going to go on now to my uh, top selection for this week, Army and Navy. They are playing on Saturday, this Saturday, December 9th. Going to play at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, Massachusetts. This game now rotates among several sites. The game last year actually played in Philadelphia. I got to attend the game last uh, year with my wife, Abby, uh, thanks to our uh, friend from our hometown of Jacksonville, Texas, Stephen Westbrook, who played football uh, for Army, uh, I'd say roughly 20 years ago. But Stephen got us set up. We were able to go to the game there in Philadelphia and truly a bucket list item. So looking at this year's uh, game, again, to be played this Saturday, both teams uh, certainly have had disappointing seasons today. Both come in with a 5-6 and six, uh, record. But looking at this Army team, after losing at home 21-14 to UMass, the Cadets, they've now won three straight games. That includes a 23-3 victory over Air Force as a 17.5-point underdog at a neutral site, and then also a 28-21 a win over Coastal Carolina uh, almost three weeks ago as a three-point home underdog. You know, predictably, Army and Navy have both battled injury issues at the critical quarterback position. You know, playing quarterback uh, at a service academy is a tough physical job. You're going to get hit almost every play, and you're going to get hit by multiple players on most plays. Uh, you know, you get you get banged up uh, early in the season. You battle bumps, bruises, uh, and worse all season long. So they've battled uh, injuries at the quarterback position. But Army's quarterback Bryson Daly, he now he now appears uh, fully healthy. And if you hadn't watched Army play, if you hadn't watched Daly play, this guy's a six foot, two hundred and eighteen pound bruiser. You know, he'll take contact. He'll deliver contact. He's a true tough guy. Uh, I like to call him a linebacker with the ball in his hands. Uh, and he's been um, instrumental in the cadets' current three-game win streak. In those three games, he's had 77 carries, so almost 26 carries a game for 347 yards in those three games. And that total includes 36 carries for 170 yards against Air Force. Uh, he's rushed for 817 yards this year. He's thrown for another 859. In my opinion, he's the difference in these two teams. Points going to be at a premium. I think the total's down to 27.5 now. But Army favored by three. I think Army's going to beat Navy by four or more. Take the Cadets minus three over the midshipmen Saturday in Foxborough, Massachusetts. 
Well, that does it for another edition of the Paul Stone Sports uh, Podcast. You know, I'm going to tell you, uh, I'm going to give you opinions. I know this is really a polarizing topic, you know, whether Florida State should have been in the playoff or should have been left out of the playoff. Such a difficult, difficult decision. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to play both sides of the fence. You know, when I was a sports writer, uh, I did I wrote columns at times, and, uh, you know, you don't go in lukewarm. I mean, if you don't have an opinion, don't fake an opinion, but I do have an opinion on this, so I'm not going to try to earn brownie points. Uh, that would be disingenuous to not state my beliefs and my support for those beliefs. If you disagree with me, we can still be friends. We can still both love college football, and we can hopefully reunite again next week on this same channel, on this same podcast. Until next time, signing off. Once again, I'm Paul Stone. Thank you for listening to the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And visit paulstonesports.org to sign up for member-only access to Paul's college football, college basketball, and PGA Tour golf picks and predictions. 